Does manual treasury management and operations have your crypto business stuck in the slow lane? Scale up and speed ahead with Fireblocks, the number one platform for crypto operations and trading pros that makes custody, settlement, and rebalancing quick and easy. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. I'd like to also thank Kraken. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit kraken.com scoop to learn more. Eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust, Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. Happy New Year. We're glad to be back with you, even though I'm kind of stuck here down under, reporting live from Sydney. And on the other side of the mic, we have Emily Choi, President and Chief Operations Officer at Coinbase. Emily, it's great to have a friend back on the show, an early adopter of The Scoop. I think you were our fifth or sixth guest back in 2019. A lot has changed. There's a lot of ground for us to cover. I know you value brevity, so let's get right into it. 2021 was a big year for Coinbase with its blockbuster direct listing. What are you excited about for 2022? 2022 is just going to be more building. We're so excited. I think that the biggest thing that we're focused on right now, Frank, is making sure that we scale the products that we've got Um, We're kind of, you saw in 2021, we were kind of hitting new uh, thresholds for our users, all that stuff that is so foundational to the product, hitting new volumes, offering folks more assets and more features, staking, ETH2, all of that is so important. I think that the the other thing that we're really, really focused on that you're going to hear more and more about is wallet and the importance of that to our future. Yeah, definitely want to talk about that later in the show. I want to tease you about something, if that's okay. I Me feel too. like it's 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 pretty unsurprising given your background as as being at LinkedIn and doing MA, but I feel like you're constantly on LinkedIn. You make up like half of my feed <laughs> where you're popping up and congratulating new Coinbase employees. Yeah. And from the outside looking in, it kind of is like she obviously has a ton on her plate but somehow she's found time to carve out to literally welcome almost every single new employee or person who's promoted to the company. Um, I've also heard from people within the firm that you're very active on Slack, that you're often sharing tweets or different insights and articles from journalists and, and other influencers. So, this is more of a question about you and then we're going to talk about the company, but how do you find the time to engage 
with so many people within the firm, now that it's 3,000 some odd people, keep up with all the work you have to do. And is this something that's part of your management philosophy? Do you make a conscious effort to engage with, with new folks and then also folks within the firm in this way? I knew you were going to come up with novel questions. I love this. Okay. So two things. I multitask like crazy at any given time. I'm, I'm generally doing three to four different tasks and that might include Twitter. Are you doing right now four different things? You know what, Frank, I decided I would not multitask for you so that I wouldn't get distracted, but that you should, you should take that as a big honor. (laughs) The other thing, you know, that I learned from Jeff Wiener is that talent should always be your number one operating priority. And so I'm on LinkedIn a lot for a couple of reasons. One is I'm recruiting like crazy. Two is I want to honor publicly those people who are joining the company or who have had what we call coiniversaries. It's actually like really important. You know, we, we have these people who are hitting these milestones. I'll hit four years in March. And it's like, whoa, like that's, it's actually a big deal. It's like a, it, it, it speaks to somebody's endurance and their ability to like kind of really succeed at a company and so it's important to me to honor the whole life cycle of an employee from recruiting them to, you know, meeting, meeting new anniversaries at the company. Yeah. So you do make a conscious effort to do this. It, it's very important to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let, let's maybe focus on your unique position within the market. Obviously, most figureheads or most of the folks that people follow are either investors, traders, or technologists, you you don't really fit into any of those backgrounds per se. You have a finance background. You cut your teeth uh, early at Leg Mason doing M and A. You obviously later held positions at um, Yahoo and LinkedIn and, and Corp Dev and M and A. How do you think this sort of unique position informs your role at Coinbase and in the crypto industry more broadly? Do you bring something a little bit more? flavorful to the table? My superpower is I can sense in about two seconds if I think somebody is like a great talent. And that means that I then either recruit them or I acquire them or I build a relationship with them because I know that I can learn a lot from them. So I often talk about how my two years as an analyst at Yahoo I swear we're the most formative of my career, even though people scoff at Yahoo now. At the time, it was like the epicenter of everything related to consumer internet. And I got to work with some just really brilliant people. And that that included people like Jeff Wiener. It included doing the acquisition of Flickr and, and getting to know Stuart Butterfield and just being exposed to these great people who are operators and entrepreneurs. And so... I've done Corp Dev mainly my entire career because I love founders. I love working with them. I think that I complement them with my more operational business skills and I help them execute on what they want to do and let them do their thing. So that that's the thing that I think I've learned in my career. And I think it's the thing that I bring to the jobs that I've done. And it kind of maybe served as the catalyst for you launching Coinbase Ventures back when you did, this desire to engage with founders, be around founders. Let's take a trip maybe down memory lane and and harken back on those Hasleyon days. You joined Coinbase originally in Corp Dev and that Corp Dev function. And early on, you got that buy-in from Brian to launch Ventures. I, I, I brought this up in the last podcast we had two years ago. I said, do you think you were too late? (laughs) <laughs> getting into the market with a bunch of, you know, well-established venture capitalist firms, 
Paradigm, Polychain, Pantera. And you made the very good point, which is, no, I'm actually, in fact, very early, considering now we've seen a bunch of crypto firms that were not venture firms at heart enter the market. Alchemy is one example. By the time this comes out, we're going to see that FTX has launched a $2 billion venture firm. So you guys were really early. Um, How did you get that buy-in from Brian? And walk us through how maybe ventures feeds into the broader business. How does it provide sort of a support function um, or a research and development function to these other uh, areas? So I have to tell the story about how Ventures was conceived because and, and how I got buying because it, it is an important like part of our culture. I, like I, Brian and I talked, I said, I think we should do ventures. He was like, I had been thinking about that too. We should. He's like, write a blog post. I wrote a blog post. He looked at it. He was like, this looks good. Like he had a couple little comments and then he's like, I was like, so now what? I was used to, no offense, LinkedIn, but at LinkedIn by that time, it was now part of Microsoft, like, you know, the 20 different approvals and all that kind of stuff to get, he's like, ship it. And, and it was just so freeing because I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm empowered to just run with this. So we hacked it together. We just started using the balance sheet. We started meeting with different companies. Um, Okay. So um, I think OpenSea is a great example of this, Frank, where, you know, Devin and Alex had a vision around what, what became an NFT marketplace. And we invested early. We thought it made a lot of sense. And then if you watch them, they just kept plugging away even through the depths of the crypto winter when it looked like, you know, they should probably just shut the business down. And now if you look at OpenSea, obviously an incredible trajectory and, and just, rewards, disproportionate rewards for having stuck through that crypto winter. So I think there's so much great. Now, your other question about Coinbase Ventures and kind of how we look at it, the the value that it provides, I think, are, is multifold. One is we get, I think, disproportionate data insights into what apps or protocols look like they're really going to take off. And I think that's very helpful for us as we're, we're building our own um, suite of products and services around this this ecosystem. How can we support them better? How can we support the asset issuers and so on in this space? Um, that also build helps us build relationships with incredible entrepreneurs and founders in the community. That's just good for us and it's good for, for the community. And it helps us if we eventually want to do M&A. So Bison Trails is a great example of a company that we invested in and then later wanted to acquire as the for- formation of Coinbase Cloud. Um, and then obviously ROI is important to us as well, but it's secondary relative to those other things that we we have. But the ROI has been astonishing, obviously. Is is it is it something that maybe founders should be wary of? Right? Is is an investment in Coinbase kind of almost like a, a harbinger that you're going to enter into their business and and take market share? OpenSea might be an example of that. I don't think so. And I think, I think Devin and Alex would say the same thing, but you should ask them. It's a great question. I think that like the, the thing that's so refreshing about being part of crypto and web three is that um, there's no zero sum game here. Like I, I think that the TAM is infinite from here. And I think that's what very few people understand. Like when I look at a lot of the things that, you know, I used to think in my old jobs, it was like, kind of like, oh my gosh, like you know, my, my loss is somebody else's gain and so on. I think in the, in the crypto space, we just were so early that there's so much opportunity. We don't know how different spaces are going to play out. There's going to be room for multiple players playing in different ways. 
And so I'm, I'm a big fan of like us supporting one another, even if we're sometimes competing in certain ways. The, the whole concept of, of ventures is really unique and interesting at Coinbase. The fact that it, it's kind of going to be an additional part of someone's job as opposed to someone's day job. How does yeah. that work? Do I have to apply or, or do I have to meet a certain criteria? Um, I assume not anyone can just wake up and, and you know decide <laughs> they're going to work with you on that. Right. So we want folks who have incredible relationships and incredible insights. And those are the folks at the company that we typically kind of tap on their shoulder and say, you know, we would love you to, to kind of participate in this and help us with it. Um, the memos that we circulate to make investment cases for the investments we're going into, like, like they're not, you know, they're not 10 page memos, they're one page memos, but they're incredibly insightful and thoughtful. And so the idea here is like, who is that person who wants a day job at Coinbase and to do something really great, usually in, in some level of like business function or product function? And then how can they on the side also use that knowledge they have and the relationships they have to help us disproportionately knock it out of the park with ventures? Mm -hmm. I, I counted um, on the page about 50. I think you guys haven't updated it in a while because I think there's been... Yeah, way more than a, way more than 50 more way more than 200 at this point yeah, yeah. um yeah, we got, we well, update they, that. or yeah so that that's your task to to walk away from yeah. the show with yeah. um update that um you've also been one of the bigger acquirers in the space we've mentioned a few outside of bison trails to gomi um and there's been a number that you've made this past year what what do you look for in an entrepreneur when considering a deal and how do you examine your pro how do how do you think your process is different from a traditional maybe silicon valley venture capitalist what what resonates you what resonates with you in a founder or founding team this is where back to my superpower i i like i just have an instinct sometimes like i'll i'll meet people and i'll just i can just see that they're thinking about things in a different way and it's the same thing with i mean not like i was new to like figuring this out but it was like when i met brian armstrong for the first time and i i got shivers as he's talking about what he sees as the future of coinbase and crypto like i i think that there are people that you can tell that have authentic vision the perfect example of this to me is Balaji Srinivasan. I mean, you it's a gift to have any conversation with Balaji because you will learn something brand new in every conversation with him. He is an originalist in his thinking. And, and that was why we did the earn acquisition as our very first acquisition at the company. I think that you just you meet some of these people and they, they have disproportionate insights. They're passionate. They're mission-driven, not mercenaries. Like they, it just comes out as you talk to them more and more. And then I think that you know it's really cool actually to see the traditional VCs get into the space finally because I honestly just think it's a validation. But I think that the crypto-first firms are always going to have a disproportionate advantage from having kind of been in this for a longer time, understanding the nuance of the technology, understanding the nuance of decentralization. At some point. I'm sure, you know, like it, it's, it's open to everyone, but I think that there is a competitive advantage that we have in that regard. When you think about the characteristics of a mercenary, is there any room within a company 
or within Coinbase to, to have mercenaries? And, and, and maybe we can unpack like exactly how you di differentiate between a mercenary and a missionary. I think of a mercenary as somebody who is there solely for their own benefit and whether that's financial gain or like a, a job title or something like that, it typically in my experience ends badly. Um, I, you know, at its best, I think there could be a mercenary culture in hedge funds where it's like, you know, like every man for himself, like go freaking crush it and you will, you will get disproportionate. And I, I like the pay for performance aspect of that. Um, the missionary thing is like, okay, do you want to truly increase economic freedom in the world? Do you believe in Bitcoin? Do you believe in the value of decentralization and all of the, the other advantages that we've talked about with respect to blockchain technology? Um, and so those people tend to play the long game. They're not going to be hyper-focused on the stock price or anything like that. If they're playing the long game, they're like, well, you know, Coinbase is going to do well and whether I join today or whether I join in six months, like it's going to do well. And so I'm not going to be hyper-focused on any of that, or I'm not going to get super hyper-focused on some title. Um, and you know, like I'm an example of this. Like I basically took a lateral move to go from LinkedIn to Coinbase yeah. and then I just worked my ass off and, and got to the place I am. Yeah. And a lot of those mercenaries probably wouldn't have made it through a 2018 winner. I think yeah, I mean, listen, I was a newbie then, and I, I was shocked by how quickly things went sour. It was tough. I mean, you know, maybe walk us through, you know, when you guys were raising at the time, I think it was the Series E, it wasn't an easy process. And now it's no, obviously it so painful. much, so much rough. It was painful. Super painful. Yeah. So... I signed my offer letter in in December 2017, and you know I was definitely a newbie to this space. I was not expecting the volatility that that we then faced in in the crypto space. Um, and so, as you know, in 2018, things just went down and down and down and down and down. And then 2019 was pretty painful. So we started raising a Series E, and you know. I wasn't originally responsible for that process, and then it just didn't pan out. I took it over. And we we talked to tons of investors, like every VC you can imagine. And the number one piece of feedback that I got was, I can get on board with Coinbase if crypto is going to be a big thing, but I'm just not sure I believe in crypto. This was the number one thing we heard. Um, and so it's just so interesting to look back on that now. And, and I say this story sometimes, like Lee Fixel from Tiger had balls of steel on this one. And he was just like, he's like, this is the marquee name in the space. I believe in crypto. I believe where it's going. I'm not going to get hung up on the valuation right now. I'm just going to kind of plow through. And he was the only lead term sheet ultimately that we got. And I kissed the ground when I got that term sheet. And after he sent us that, other firms followed. Yeah. And you got, I think, Y Combinator in that one, Wellington. Yeah. We got some great names in it. I mean, and, you know, we had the existing investors supported as usual, like A16Z has been with us through thick and thin and so on and, and USV and so on. Like we, we've had all of the people who believed us in the early days continued to double down on us, which was awesome. Um, but it's, yeah, like it, it was really cool to see Lee step up there. Obviously it's a much different environment. Um, the, the venture deal market is very frothy. New funds are launching on a 
it almost seems like a daily basis. This morning, we reported uh, about a company that raised $105 million Series D. They, they literally announced their Series C three months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened back to the last episode, by the way, that we did, which was really painful because I can't stand the sound of my voice, but I did it for you. I woke up at 4 a.m. I woke up at 4 a.m. for you and I listened to uh an old show that was that 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 was fairly cringeworthy in terms of the sound of my voice. So thank you. For it was well that. worth it though. Um but when you last came on the show you said that valuations were healthy. Would you say that today? Absolutely. I mean I think like we can't argue there's froth in the market. Um, but this goes back to like, are you going to take a long-term view of it? Are they frothy? Yes. Is there going to be a reckoning? Yes. Are the quality names going to disproportionately outperform and over time be loftier than they are today? Yes. So I think the story in 2022 is going to be probably being a little bit more careful about not overreaching on things and just kind of, um, being okay with, not being in everything. Um, and then, you know, just having the ammunition to go really big when others pull out of the space inevitably as, as we've seen every cycle. (laughs) What about the role of venture capitalists? I remember this was before you got into the space. I'm a little bit earlier than Emily to the space in 2017, people would joke about ICOs rendering VCs irrelevant. Now people are kind of saying that about DAOs. How do how do VCs stay relevant in a Web3 world? And I'm going to bring you into the sort of um, zeitgeist um, or the maybe this was the zeitgeist two or three weeks ago um, about how VCs might be anti-Web3 or might sort of be antithetical to a decentralized world. What do you think about that? You know... I guess what I would say is that I think everybody needs to lighten up a little bit. Um, Like I, I look at some of these things and I'm like, we've all been there when we've seen people make fun of new technology, new companies, um, new ideas. And so on the one hand, I would say like, it's, it's very important for us not to overhype or over-market things that are not actually manifested yet. Like, I, th- I think that talking about the promise of technology is absolutely the thing we should be doing. I think we should just make sure that, you know, we're doing it in a way that is carefully calibrated so that, you know, we're not, it doesn't sound like the pre-announcement of the pre-announcement. But on the other hand, what I would say is I just really am shocked sometimes by, like, the just really heavy skepticism and snark sometimes that I would like, I would just love to see people more open-minded about, about things. And so like, it's just a really interesting thing to watch. I hope that we can all have like a fun dialogue about it at some point when people's tempers kind of moderate a bit. A lot of the skepticism from the press is rooted in a disbelief in how much money people make. And so they they look at like an ape or a pudgy penguin selling for, you know, what is to many people astronomical, um, an astronomical price. And it may be like 
just immediately harkens them back to the froth of like, you know, pre 2008 or the dot com bubble. And, but, but in doing so, they kind of miss the forest for the trees, right? Because obviously 2000, you have productive bubbles and you have unproductive bubbles, right? This is the sort of, um, the, 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 the sort of dichotomy that can exist. And with a productive bubble, you have, you know, pets.com and, and, and frank.io and, and, you have this Cambrian explosion, and then what's left in the ashes are the Amazons and the rest. And so, I, I don't know. I think it's hard for people to kind of like see the difference between those two, and they just write it off immediately as this is froth, this is nonsense. And and maybe that's why maybe that was the thinking of VCs um, in in 2018, which made it so difficult for you guys to get get that funding. And now yeah, it's maybe the case sure. for other groups like reporters. Uh, you know, we've had a hard time kind of recruiting um, reporters because they're they're just kind of like in that they're they're, they're in that mindset um, to to a degree. Like if you read the, the New York Times yesterday, there was like this Paul Krugman article, and it was just the snarkiest snarkiest you know article about Bitcoin. And I think. For me, it was like the 800th time I've read a snarky article about crypto in the New York Times and just the bias in, in mainstream media is incredible. But um, I do think people's memories are short. Like you're, you're pointing out Amazon. Like if you look at the history of Amazon, it, I mean, it so many ups and downs and then, but they kept building through, through the, through the bubble and then through the pop of the bubble and so on. And so I think I don't know. It, it's it to me. What what's cool about that phenomenon is that it re- represents incredible opportunity for people like us who are just willing to like ignore the haters and just invest and double down and be greedy when others are fearful. It it speaks to or Amazon's story speaks to the way I think you think about companies, which is an axe, which is also the way that I think Reed Hastings mm-hmm. thinks about companies. Yeah. But you you kind of take this similar approach, you know. Yep. Amazon was a bookstore, but after that it became, you know, you know, why can't we sell everything? Um, in a, in a, in a similar way, Coinbase is an exchange or thought of as an exchange. Um, but maybe this is its bookstore stage and, and in 22 or 2022, excuse me, and beyond it's going to enter, um, maybe it's second act, whatever that may look like. Yeah. So, it's a great point. And I, I love thinking in acts because I think that back to the point about people kind of not remembering history, like, so look at Netflix, right? So the first act of Netflix was DVDs. Reed Hastings saw the future of digital content, but the technology was not there yet, right? That like, so the idea, like if I sent you a clip of something, it would take you like, you know, 48 hours to download like a, you know, 30 second clip of something. And so he knew that to get to that point, he had to offer DVDs. Similarly at Netflix, there was a vision around original content. To get to original content, however, there had to be a masterful plan to get a bunch of third-party content to get all the users on the platform. Those, Those users then helped generate subscription revenue, which then helped fund original content, which is like another second act for the business. So I think there are so many interesting analogies when you think about these companies that have taken on these these new things. For us, um, you know, the way that we think about crypto and as it relates to our business is there's three stages of it. One is crypto as a new form of money or investment. 
two as crypt is crypto as a new form of financial system. Hence what we do with respect to like, we have the largest regulated custodian in the world. We have um, obviously our, our flagship brokerage we have um, and then we have the exchange and, and those are reinventing what a financial system can mean. And then the final part of this strategy is about um, crypto as a new form of app store. And there's so much to tap into there, but that's what we're talking about with respect to wallet and, you know, eventually adapt marketplace and so on. It's a new form of all of that. And it's something that we're making a lot of investment in. The other thing I should just mention as we think about the future acts of Coinbase is the monetization model. So Adobe at one point had a transactional monetization model. They made a huge shift to a subscription model. Um, in our case, we have largely um, you know, a trading model that generates a ton of revenue for us. And we love that model. And we're totally okay with the volatility of it. And at the same time, we're investing very heavily in subscription and services model. And you're seeing a lot of growth from that because it's the thing that helps us control our own destiny because it's much more yeah. predictable. And that's, so that's another part of our act. Having trouble keeping pace with the crypto boom? When your business is scaling up and your portfolio is growing, you don't want to waste precious time on manual treasury management or settling and rebalancing. Fireblocks can handle that for you with smart, scalable solutions for your crypto business, along with industry-leading security and expertise. They'll take care of the back end so you can focus on the big picture. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Now with the new Kraken app, it's easier than ever to buy and sell over 60 of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the go 24-7. Simply download the Kraken app, connect your bank account, and start investing for as little as $10. Just a minute is all it takes to get started. Are you eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis is here to help. Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Gain unparalleled visibility and maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com now. Predictability. This is the thing. Well, there's there's a few routes we can we can go to tackle this question or this topic of of sort of the public markets perception of Coinbase, but also crypto overall. We 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 reported this morning. Um, if you look at the stocks across the space, they are really under pressure. Um, you guys are kind of ahead of the pack, I think down 30% from all-time highs. Back is down 85%. Um, Robinhood's down something like 76%. So fintechs, crypto stocks, not really not really <laughs> getting the, the sort of appreciation that they are in the private markets. Maybe it's because the public markets can't see these next steps that that are potentially to come. We can maybe laser in on Coinbase in a second, but I, I want to get your opinion on whether or not you think there is a disconnect between the value private market investors see in crypto 
and, and the more gloomy, I guess, or pessimistic view of, of, of public investors. Like why does Coinbase have the same PE as, as an interactive brokers um, than, than maybe a meta or something? Yeah. So listen, I think right now we're in a cycle in the market where you are disproportionately rewarded if you are a private company, like the, the private valuations, it's just, it's, it's, it's just a function of the way private companies work. Right. I mean, it's like, it's like, there's just a finite, it's, it's more opaque. It's, it's everything. I mean, there, there's advantage to being private and, and, um, I think on the public side, yeah, like I, I think that first of all, the markets are not performing anyway, like we're, we're seeing, and, and I think that it's healthy. I actually think it's really healthy what we're seeing in the markets right now, because there was a lot of froth. So, mm-hmm. um, that's really fine. You know, I have to be careful about what I say about our own valuation, but do I think that there's a huge opportunity there when I even look just objectively at, um, the multiples that are being applied to us? Absolutely. Like I, I love being a shareholder of Coinbase. It's, it's, it's super exciting. And I think that we have a huge opportunity in front of us. I think that it's very hard in the same way that when Tesla came out, was it a car company? It wasn't really a car company, but none of the analysts understood that at the time. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to take some time for folks to understand the breadth and just the the scale of our ambitions. And I'm totally comfortable being in that position right now. Like I'm like, you know what? You'll all get it, but it doesn't have to be right at this very moment. Mm-hmm. Well, right now, and I think, you know, <clears throat> Right now, most people probably think of Coinbase as a place where you can trade cryptocurrency, which is much different. That's a totally different story than a destination where you can plug into a new economy or financial system. And you guys are going to spend um, over the course of uh, um, 2022, you guys are going to put different resources into Coinbase wallet, which I think will kind of bring it on the same playing field, maybe as the brokerage and accelerate maybe that, that transition. I think that's exactly the way to think about it. Frank. And by the way, I, I just want to reinforce, we love the core business. Like we actually think it just has huge legs to it. And I think people don't necessarily understand that either. So some of the things I think we disclosed in Q2 um, we're around, you know, keep me honest and these will be ballpark numbers, but I think it was something like 50% of our, our customers are engaging with more than one feature or product. Um, that's, that's a number that like most companies would just kill for. And then I think 75% or something like that, um, engage with more than one asset. And so this whole idea is that when you come into Coinbase as a customer, whether you're a retail customer, an institutional customer, or a developer, you come in and you might make your first simple trade and it might be a Bitcoin trade, but that's how we get you into this ecosystem. We want to expose you to a variety of interesting assets that you can play around with. We want you to be exposed to a bunch of different features that you can play around with, whether that's staking or something like that. Um, on the on the institutional side, it could it could be things like um, lending those assets that you're custodying with us because you want to to generate some level of return with us. So there's just all sorts of interesting opportunities for us to expand our suite of services and just build a lifetime relationship with our customers. This is all tied to the sort of narrative or story that executives at the firm have tried to weave around 
diversification of the business model. You even had Bank of America come to your defense. I thought that I love, I love sell side research, um, especially how cheeky it can be. They told, mm-hmm. uh, they told their clients to load up on coin. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and they made this, they made this point about expanding outside the bread and butter transaction revenues. Is this just a meme or a story or is, is it tangibly happening within the firm right now? I think, I mean, historically, uh, transaction-based revenues at Coinbase have been something like 95% of the business, effectively the entire business. How much have we moved away from that? I don't, I don't know the latest that I can disclose, but I, I, I don't have the numbers on me right now that I, I, I know that we disclosed last time, but I can tell you that it is absolutely an increasing percentage of our revenue. And even with the growth that we have had in the transactional business over time, especially over this past year, um, subscription and services has been growing as a percentage of the overall revenue. So I think the story is manifesting. Mm -hmm. And one way potentially, I guess this might still be transaction based, but it'll absolutely allow you guys to tap into much juicier fees is the launch of an NFT platform. When do you expect to launch NFTs, um, or rather the, the the platform? And how do you imagine it will be differentiated from the litany of companies or projects out there? Yeah. So I can't disclose exactly when we're launching. We will launch this year. We're super excited about it. Um, I think that the things that we're excited about are frankly rooted around our distribution, right? And so we have 70 million customers on the platform who are really excited to use NFTs and play around with them on the Coinbase platform. And if you think about the pillars of what people typically choose Coinbase for, it is trust, it is safety, it is ease of use. So we're working really hard to create an experience that allows them to do so. Um, there are also other aspects that we think are going to be interesting playing around with the social aspects of the marketplace and so on that we're, we, we, we will introduce when we launch. Mm. So stay tuned for all of that. So that's really interesting, right? Because it kind of puts Coinbase in a different category of, of company. If you have, obviously there's like this brokerage element, there's a financial services element, but there's also a, you know, if you, if, if, if you look listeners at what this thing's going to look like, the NFT platform, it does, you know, look similar to what Instagram is, right? And it's, it's certainly more social and it's not unheard of for brokerages to introduce social elements. Public does this and um, uh, eToro has done this as well, but it kind of gets you thinking about the company differently and whether or not it it can be comped to instead of like an exchange, like a NASDAQ or a broker like Charles Schwab comp to something else. Um, what, what, what do you think about when you think about comps? Yeah. I love this question. So this goes back to, um, what we were talking about with Tesla. Is it a car company? And was Amazon like a book company? Um, and was Square a purely financial services company? No, but 
with what you look at back in the day with Square or something like Square was that it just took a lot of time for the Wall Street firms to figure out that it was just a completely new breed of something. Hence, the anointment of a new fintech category. And what you saw is that it wasn't always the financial institutions folks that started to cover those things. You know, you started to get technology folks covering these things. And that's how I want Coinbase to be viewed. I want us to be in a new category. I want it to be the crypto or Web3 category. Mm. But it's certainly not, it, it shouldn't be in the traditional financial institutions category. It, we're our own thing. And so do I expect that to take some time for people to figure that out? Yes, because any new technology category or any new category, it's like it doesn't click for everybody up front. But do you think there would be a specific company? I guess if you were to pick what might be the closest comp, is it is it something that sits between Block and, and Meta to, to pick the two companies that have recently changed their names? I think that that makes a lot of sense at like a 10,000 foot level. I do think the the monetization model that we have is slightly different than like the face the meta yeah. Facebook model of like advertising. But yes, like I, that that category of companies absolutely. You keep mentioning Tesla. I, I, there was this big narrative though about you know after Tesla that all of these companies would would add Bitcoin to their balance sheet. But I feel like over the past like six months, there's been zero news on that front. Is that is that narrative dead? Or is is it is it a derivative of the more shaky macro backdrop and and companies are maybe a little more afraid now to do a move like that than they were back when when things were kind of roaring? Yeah, I, I think that first of all, we we talked to a lot of companies and we've made a lot of sales on that front. We don't always disclose them. Um, unless the the company is willing to be disclosed. I think that the thing you have to remember about that kind of a sale is that arguably the most conservative person at any company is going to be the treasurer. Yeah. The treasurer makes decisions and the treasurer, the treasurer's job is basically to not lose any money. So if they generate a 0.00001% return on the cash in the company, they're doing fine. Mm. It's not their job. So they don't view their job as something where if they actually make a substantial return for the company, they're like, they're winning for the company. And I think that that's a mindset shift that will change over time, but that is, is a historical mindset that, you know, has to be, has to evolve. Um, I think that the bigger story for institutional, cause you know, as I mentioned, I joined in 2018, 2017, we, we all talked about like institutional going big into to crypto didn't manifest. Then this, this past year, 2021, was such a huge, huge drive of, of institutional business. And I think in 2022, we're going to just see more of that, which is, you know, traditional hedge funds, traditional institutions getting into crypto in a way where they're not going to just come in and, and, then, and then leave when everything goes awry. Like they actually enjoy the volatility of this space and make money on the volatility of this space. And so that's what I think a, a huge part of this is as well. And that that might that might be the beginning of something where, okay, then over time, some of these more conservative folks, like treasurers, get more and more into it as well. Yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. You you had people who are really at the cutting edge and bleeding edge of technology get on board, but they had you had massive buy-in 
from the person yes. at the top, which yes. isn't as easily replicated across different sectors and then different types of companies. Yes. I want to shift gears slightly away from Coinbase's business per se and, and more about like the culture you guys put out yesterday. I'm in Australia, so I don't know if today's Thursday or I don't know what day it is to be honest. I broke two, I broke an embargo twice yesterday because I got confused about what day it was. And so I, I broke the embargo because I thought it was Wednesday. And then I woke up and I saw that it wasn't on the site. So I published it again and broke it twice. That takes a lot of dedication to break an embargo twice um, or a lot of stupidity perhaps. Um, but anyway, you guys put out this blog post about this new experiment you guys are working on where you're going to set aside about four weeks, I guess, where the company kind of effectively shuts down. And after I'm done with this, you can correct me where, where I'm wrong on how this is going to work. Give everyone a chance to kind of unplug, step away from work all at the same time. It's it's really It was really interesting to me because I felt like an underpinning brutal honesty to this that's kind of tied to a lot of the messaging that's come out of Coinbase, which is, hey, listen, if you're like this kind of this place is kind of crazy, right? We're, we're laser focused on the mission and we work maybe way too hard. Um, and that's not for everyone. It, it kind of reminded me of some of the um, talks that Ray Dalio at Bridgewater has given about the culture within within that firm, within you know, what is the world's largest hedge fund? And I think he said, I don't know if the figure is correct or if this is the exact figure, rather something like one third of people who come in are going to absolutely hate it. And that's okay. We're not, yeah. we're not here to be a place where, you know, obviously people, you know, develop and uh, I'm sure junior people come in and, you know, that they, 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 they can kind of set up their career there, but it's not a place we're going to come and maybe, um, everyone's going to have a great time. Like it's going to suck for this category of people. Um, yeah. and is, is this the way that people should think about Coinbase and how is that sort of culture tied to, to this decision to, um, un unplug in this, in this fashion? You know, um, funny you mentioned Ray Dalio, just cause I, I know Brian has been a big fan of, of principles and just of the work there. And so I think we, we often take inspiration from, from some of that. And I think there's, there's part of this that is just really important that we're just authentic and like honest about what we are to the world because um, we want to represent who we are when we're talking to people we're recruiting and not kind of make everything seem rosy all the time. Mm -hmm. If just candidly, when we looked at the, we look at the engagement surveys very, very closely and without question, the number one issue we have that's always read is sustainability. And we get tons of comments from employees about how it feels like it's always sprint mode. It always feels like we're doing too many products and services and everybody feels stretched all the time. And so, you know, we can talk about, okay, well, we're hiring a bunch more people, which is great. That'll give more capacity. But the reality is, as we hire more people, we expect more output and more products and services too. So we took a step back and our chief people officer was like, what if we were just really honest about this and said, yep, we work really hard. We sprint. And then we give each other we give each other a week off every quarter. Like, why don't we experiment with that? And I think that the idea behind it, Frank, is if you take PTO off and everybody else is working at the block, they're going to still ping you all the time. If you all have off on the exact same week, 
you're probably more likely to truly recharge during that time. Mm. And so we found this in small form experiments. I remember what we radically changed the engagement rate at, at LinkedIn when we all had two weeks that everybody had the same week off. So I think this is a great experiment and I think it's very true to who we are. Do you think maybe the problem is that you're not hiring quick enough or that there is a problem with the Coinbase hiring process? You guys have typically taken your time. I, I think I've read somewhere that if it's not a resounding yes, it's it's a no. I think you've said this, or maybe Brian has said this. If you're not a hell yes, it's a no. Yeah. No, our metrics are amazing. So for context, the person that used to run BizOps for me, who's like just one of the most incredible data-driven people in the world, he took over recruiting a couple of years ago. And we we are just, we continue to set insane hiring goals and, and surpassing them. Um, and yet at the same time, we're super careful. Uh, there's there's a senior role on my team that it, it's been over a year since the person departed and I still haven't hired the replacement because mm. I just haven't found that person that I really, really just have that gut hell yes on. Um, but no, I mean, I think, I think our hiring is really strong. We also have to be careful, Frank, when we're growing this quickly and you look at the headcount growth, like we're a remote first culture. We need to make sure that the onboarding is right. We need to make sure that we don't have whole teams of all new people who don't know how to do the work successfully and productively at Coinbase specifically. So we're spending a ton of time on making sure that we have all the written documentation, all the videos, everything that people need to kind of be onboarded successfully. But we have to figure out what our thresholds are in terms of not overloading and not creating complete chaos in the system as we as we grow this fast. Do you think given like the broader backdrop of you know, this great resignation that people talk about and the sheer demand for this type of talent in crypto and tech beyond that, maybe even with that specific role that you're sacrificing or rather giving up what is good in search of the perfect. That's a mix up of whatever that metaphor is, but that that's a, yeah. something my grandmother used um, to say. Perhaps, but I think when you find those, you know, once in a lifetime people they change the game so much that you, the the kind of the person who can do the job just it be, it becomes so obvious that they're they're not the right fit and it's so much more painful to hire somebody that you know is not going to be the right fit and then have to manage them out than to be like you know what I'm just going to hold the line at this I'm going to suck it up I'm going to have more direct reports than I wanted for now and I'll wait I know I'll find that right person and I'm going to wait this is something that we could probably have an entire podcast episode about. And I, I know that, you know, our readers are really interested in in Coinbase as a as a sort of culture and as a firm in that respect. One more micro question about you that I'm curious about is how do you avoid burnout yourself? I know you're you're a fairly private person in terms of your personal life, but you have one just like the rest of us. You sit on I think you sat on two boards, but step down from Naspers. Yeah. I assume you have hobbies. Maybe you painted that that painting that's sitting behind you. How do you how do you allocate your time and avoid um burnout? I save so much time by not having an hour commute each way yeah. to and from work. That has changed the game for me. I probably wouldn't be at Coinbase right now if we hadn't implemented remote first, because it's, it's been a game changer for me. I just have, I, I bring what I've got every day to work and I'm genuinely just pumped up about what we're building and that energizes me and it, it powers me through all this stuff. Like I, I just, 
genuinely don't get burnout. I think that the thing that bothers me the most is like when we get too many meetings mm-hmm. and by the end of last year, I could feel like I was just like, I dreaded the meetings. And what I realized is like, we just have to do a better job of trying to communicate async whenever we can. But I find that there are certain things in my schedule where I, I absolutely want to make personal time for myself a couple times a week. And if I have to have like a half hour block or an hour block to make that happen, I just put it in my schedule and it's immovable unless it's an emergency. And so that's that's how I do it. But ultimately, the thing that that fuels us all is we are building the future and this is our time. Like we've got to take advantage of it. And if you're not fired up by that, you are not going to be excited about working at Coinbase mm-hmm. because like you're going to you got to bring everything you got every single day. Do you how do you sort of start your day? Is it is it aside from when you're doing podcasts, do you have like a specific routine or is it, you know, Obviously, it's a fast-paced company. Who knows what's going to hit your desk on a given day? Or is there a degree of, you know, there's not a lot of predictability in your stock, but is there predictability in your your morning schedule? I like to, when possible, have a block at the beginning and the end of the day. And that helps me set the tone. And make it, I, can, yeah. I can do all my email, do all my slacks, and then hit the ground running with one-on-ones and meetings and so on. Monday is Monday and Tuesday, we always have like our executive meetings and deep dives. And so I just know that those are going to be days where I'm going to be super, super busy. And then at the end of every day, I try to just make sure there's a block so I can just be like, okay, what do, what do I have to get to, what do I have to take care of? What decisions do we have to make today? What things do I have to get out? And then that helps me free my mind. Now I am online all the time, like until I go to bed, but it's very, it's just, it's very lightweight for me mm-hmm. because it's just like checking a couple of times to make sure that I'm not missing anything or hopping on a call if I need to quickly. So it's all very, it's very user-friendly for me in the way that we work. We have only a few more minutes left, one minute basically, but I know this is going to give some listeners a bit of whiplash because it's out of left field, but 2021 was obviously a very interesting year from a regulatory perspective. You guys butted heads with the SEC over Lend. When you think about the outlook for 2022, and then maybe you can talk about your broader outlook to to close out, but focusing on the regulatory angle for a second, do you see regulators or the regulatory environment serving as a headwind for the company as you try to execute on some of your ambitions? I'm very optimistic about US regulators kind of figuring out this stuff. And the reason I'm optimistic about this is because like the genie is out of the bottle and Americans are into crypto. The world is into crypto. This is this this is a force of nature. And so when you think about something like a representative in a state seeing the number of Coinbase customers in their district, they're going to pay more and more attention to how much voting power and influence this segment has. And I think that that hasn't fully been realized yet, but I think people are starting to catch on to it. And you've seen this in the hearings, even the stablecoin hearing, there was an optimism. There was just a um, a positivity that I don't think we've experienced as much before. I think the, the thing that's obviously going to be the hardest is because there hasn't been a kind of very clear regulatory framework or scheme for this or, or one agency that's where there's there can be some infighting and fiefdoms and so on. And so it's going to be incumbent upon everyone to help move that ball forward and get to clarity and take the politics out of it. Um, so I'm super optimistic. 
generally for 2022, um, my outlook is there's a lot of, of really smart money in the space. And I think that even with bumps in the road and like, you know, just some ups and downs with crypto prices, there's so much support in the system foundationally for like all the new protocols and things like that. So I, I think, um, I think it's just going to be, it's, it's always going to be a journey and we're just excited to be part of the ride. Well, we're excited that you joined us today on the show, our first show of the year, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening in. This has been so much fun. Well, hopefully we, we have you on again soon. We won't have to wait another two years by that point. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, you know, well, you'll still be working. I, I hope maybe I'll be sitting on an Island somewhere with a Mai Tai recording, but you'll still be working. Emily Choi, president and COO at Coinbase. Emily, thank you, Frank. so much fun. Yeah. This has been this. I've been looking forward to this for the past, like two months. Um, are you going to get more active on Twitter? Should we point our listeners towards that? Because I feel like you're, I see you liking more and more of my stuff. So I think, are you, it seems yeah. like you're getting more active. I, I, yes, point them to my Twitter, E-M-I-L-I-E-M-C. Perfect. Emily, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Frank. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. The Scoop will be back with you again with another great guest. Ladies and gentlemen, have a great day.